0: Good morning, everyone. I'm going to apologize ahead of time. I came down with bronchitis on Wednesday, so I might have to stop for, to either cough or drink or both. But I don't wonder, can you imagine putting yourself in the place of those Israelites? Right, you wake up one morning, you're in the wilderness, and God miraculously provides breakfast, lunch, and dinner for you and your entire family. Maybe a modern equivalent would be like waking up on Thursday morning and having turkey and stuffing raining down from the heavens and then seeing it happen day after day after day. How would you respond to that? Would you be grateful for God's provision? Well, Americans, we set aside a day every year to be thankful for Thanksgiving. It's a day when we stop, we give thanks, and then we gorge ourselves until we're sick to our stomachs. The event the Americans commonly call the first Thanksgiving was was actually celebrated by the pilgrims after their first harvest in the New World in 1621. That feast lasted three days and was attended by 53 pilgrims and 90 Native Americans. Now the New England colonists, they were were used to uh, regularly celebrating Thanksgiving, these days of prayer, thanking God for things like military victory or maybe the end of a drought. And obviously, the early pilgrims, they recognized the importance of giving thanks before it became an American tradition. But where did they get the idea? Well, the practice of giving thanks dates back thousands and thousands of years ago. In the Old Testament, we read about Thanksgiving was acknowledging uh, God's goodness by expressing praise or bringing a sacrifice. In the New Testament, it's an attitude or a display towards God. We give thanks in the Lord's Supper or communion, that we call it for the body and the blood of Christ, for the good things God has provided, and for those who have come to know Jesus. The Apostle Paul challenged the Philippians and us to present requests to God with thanksgiving. But let's back up a little bit from the time of the pilgrims and let's see what was happening with these Israelite folks in the Exodus. Now remember, they were on a long march. God just pulled them out of Egypt and they're headed towards a land that he had promised them. He miraculously rescued them for more than 400 years of hard labor and slavery in Egypt. They walked through the sea on dry land while Pharaoh's army was swept up in water and they celebrated with singing and dancing. But euphoria had quickly turned to complaint. They pitched camp at Mara, and there the water was bitter before God intervened and sweetened the water. Then God took them out in the desert and the sun beat down on them with no shade. Water had to be rationed out, and worst of all, there was no food. Pretty soon, this chorus of complaint becomes a murmuring through the mob. Some people began to grumble. They said, man, do you remember how good we had it back in Egypt? Remember the meat and the fish and the wonderful veggies? It would have been better to die as slaves in Egypt than to starve as free people out here in the desert. Now remember, it's only one month, just 30 days since the Israelites saw God beat up on Egypt with 10 plagues. It's only a month since the parting of the Red Sea. It's just a month after the rescue from Egypt. One month is all it took to start the griping, the groaning, and the grumbling. And God finally said, all right, all right, I've heard your grumbling. Three times in three verses, Moses said, he has heard your grumbling. God said, if you want food, I'll give you some food. The next morning all around the camp was this heavy dew and when it dried, a flaky substance appeared on the desert floor. And manna, they said, manna means what is it? The book of Numbers describes manna as tasting like wafers made with honey or like cakes fried in oil. Manna was God's provision for human hunger and it was sufficient and it was satisfying. Manna was the kind gift of a good God. And when God said they were going to have manna, that's what they got. Manna on Sunday, on Monday, on Tuesday, throughout the week. And there was enough manna on Friday to last over the Sabbath so that they wouldn't have to do the work of collecting manna on the Sabbath. So I wonder, what kind of yummy manna dishes do you think they had? Maybe manna hotcakes? Flaming manna souffle? Deep-fried manna? Manna a la mode? Manna flambe? Maybe manna wrapped in more manna? But if manna is all you get and every day is the same menu... You probably get tired of it, and you might even forget that it's really actually a blessing. Man, oh man, the grumbling would begin again. You remember the good grub back in Egypt? What we wouldn't give for some fresh vegetables, even if they were Brussels sprouts. Doesn't anybody like Brussels sprouts in here? Okay, a couple of us. Numbers 11.6 records their complaint. It says, now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Now I get it. Let's put this in context. I absolutely love stuffed pizza. There was a time in college when I ate pizza every day for weeks on end. I'm gonna apologize, my mom and dad are here today. They've never heard about my poor dietary habits, but I'm coming out of the closet now with it. But there are times I think even now, like I could eat stuffed pizza for every meal, every day for the rest of my life. I love it that much. But if I'm honest with myself, it might be good for a few days or maybe even a week but I think it wouldn't take very long before even I would start complaining about a stuffed with pepperoni and sausage. I thought that does sound really good right now, doesn't it? So I can relate to the Israelites getting tired of eating manna. And finally, God said, you want meat? I'll give you some meat. I'll give you so much meat, you're going to get sick of it. So enter the quails, these small birds. They, they're brought into the camp by the east wind, and in the morning, it's no sweat to fill up a basket full, full of quail. And quail was good for a while. People liked quail. People praised God for quail. I mean, doesn't quail taste like chicken? But it wasn't long before some people began asking again, could we just have something other than quail? If they could just have some tasty lamb stew, or how about some leftover turkey and stuffing? But it was just quail, roast quail, quail with manna. And the grumbling, it started all over again. But I think before we start, thinking uh, uh, how much of big babies and whiners that the Israelites were maybe we should take a look at ourselves first now I know that many of you may be looking at me and thinking wow Steve looks like a guy who's got it all together I bet he never grumbles about anything and you know what you'd be right I don't grumble no I actually take it to the next level I flat out whine and complain As I was sitting working on this message a week ago, all I had to do was reflect on that very morning that I was writing about how many things I complained about. When I woke up, my knee was really sore, and so when I got up, I griped about it. And instead of thanking God for another day, and the fact that I can get physical therapy for my knee, instead I complained about the pain in my knee. I had a bit of a headache because I didn't get much, much sleep that night. And instead of being thankful that I could just pop a couple aspirins and get rid of my headache, I griped instead. I had some chores to do around the house that day, and instead of being thankful that I actually have a home to maintain, I grumbled. I looked at a stack of medical bills that needed to be paid, and instead of being thankful that we live in a country with incredibly good health care, I grumbled about how much I had to pay out of my pocket. Now, before you all start looking at me and thinking what a whiner and complainer that I am, I want you to take an honest look at yourself before you start launching too many barbs in my direction. So take a look over your past week or maybe just the past 24 hours. Did you grumble, whine, or complain about anything? Now come on, be honest, because God is watching. So I'm gonna give you just a couple seconds. I want you to make a quick mental list of the things you've complained about in the last 24 hours. Is that enough time or do you need another 10 minutes? (laughs) Last service, somebody said, I need more time. So why do you think God's people, both the Israelites out in the wilderness back then, and his people sitting in this room today, why do we grumble? I think it's simple, we grumble because we forget. Grumbling for the Hebrews was actually forgetting how bad it really was in Egypt. Exodus one describes the treatment that the Israelites had to endure. Listen to this, the Egyptians made their lives bitter with hard labor and brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their hard labor, the Egyptians used them ruthlessly. At one point, Pharaoh ordered every newborn boy to be thrown in the Nile to get rid of them. I mean, does this sound like a good life? No, but the Israelites, they quickly forgot how big bad things were back in Egypt when they were out in the wilderness and they were out faced with the reality of living out there, having to depend on God for everything. For the Israelites, grumbling was forgetting how much they wanted out of slavery. It was forgetting God's promise of a new land. For us today, I think grumbling, it's forgetting God's care and his provision for us. It's taking our eyes off the hope offered by God's promises. Grumbling can be selective forgetfulness, remembering only the good in the past and forgetting its trauma. This is like kind of the folks who long for the good old days, but they forget the way things really used to be. And here's the interesting things. The good old days were probably not really as good as we often remember them to be. In 2011, a Psychology Today article uh, titled the good, days, uh, the, the good Old Days Were Awful by Loretta graziano Bruning. She says this, thinking about the good old days triggers neurochemicals that make you feel good. You might reach the conclusion that life was better in the past. But if you had actually lived in the past, you probably wouldn't have liked it. I mean, let's examine these good old days, hundreds or thousands of years ago. Your spouse would have been chosen for you. Your parents would have chosen partners that benefited them. You would have felt dirty all the time. Without hot running water or toilet paper, you would have had that camping trip feeling every day. Your food would have been laced with vermin droppings, and your drinking water would have brought you intestinal worms. You would have lived in constant fear. Death would have snatched those all around you, and people would explain it with... Wild theories that made it that much scarier. You wouldn't have left your village because it was too dangerous. Home wasn't safe either because of invasions, famines, and routine domestic violence. Today we're safer and cleaner and freer to choose our marriage partners, but people are still convinced that things are awful. Why do you think people think life is better in the past? Well, she lets us know that because our brain focuses on what we don't have and it takes for granted what we actually do have. If you feel, maybe you feel like you lack, um, say maybe more unstructured time to just kinda hang out and to hang with friends and chat. And then you imagine people living back then that they had all these kinds of times to hang out and chat. Things are gonna look better back then, aren't they? Regardless of the facts. When you think you lack something, your brain, it rings an alarm that says your survival is threatened. Now, obviously, lacking hanging out time is not really life-threatening, but if it's the biggest deficiency on your mind at this time, then your brain is gonna process it with the same equipment that confronts your survival challenges. These things you feel uh, you lack feel urgent, while the lacks of the past, they're just a historical concept. And pain, it gets the brain's attention immediately. Pain was a big part of daily life in the past due to hunger, injury, disease, and violence but today we experience less physical pain, so social pain now gets our attention. An experience, it, it, it triggers more neurochemicals than just reading a historical fact on a page. Let's have a modern example. If you walk in today to a neglected public restroom, it will probably trigger some disgust, and it will trigger much more disgust than reading about the pit toilets, the chamber pots, and the open sewers of the past, because you have a real sensory experience of today's dirty bathroom. And so today's suffering seems more intense than the suffering of the past because you can experience it directly. People believe life is more stressful these days because we can't actually feel the stress that happened back then. So the author, she suggests, we might wanna, how do we might want to look at the good old days? When life is frustrating, you can take comfort in thoughts of a glorious past. And when you do, you are stimulating happy chemicals that are real. That makes it easy to believe that a better world lies in other times and places. So if you wanna go live in fairyland, just stimulate your brain with those chemicals and you're good to go. Now there's a poet, her name's Maya Angelou, and she tells of whiners who would come into her grandmother's store in Arkansas. And her grandmother would ask each customer, she said, how are you doing today? And as the complaining spewed out, her grandma would make sure that Maya was close enough to hear everything that was being said. And when the whiner and the complainers left, her grandmother, she'd call her over and she'd say, now did you hear what he or she complained about? And grandma would go on. She'd say, there are people who went to sleep all over the world last night, poor and rich, white and black, but they will never wake up again. Those who expected to rise did not. And those dead folks would give anything anything at all for just five minutes of this weather or 10 minutes of that plowing that he or she was grumbling about. So you watch yourself about complaining, Grandma said. And then she would conclude, what you're supposed to do when you don't like a thing is to change it. And if you can't change it, then change the way you think about it, but don't complain. And you know what? Grumbling easily can become a habit. Right? We can make a habit of just forgetting or ignoring God's goodness. A number of years ago, I used to work as a distribution and warehouse manager for a chemical company by Midway Airport. And I remember walking into the lunchroom at break time. And other than the consistent um, lament about how bad the Chicago Cubs were, you know what the next popular topic, a theme of conversation was, was griping and grumbling, Right, guys would sit over their break and they would talk about their kids' behavior or how much work they had to do at home that weekend or how much work I was asking them to do that day. And I don't think it was a unique experience for them. If you've worked with people anywhere, my guess is you've either heard or even participated in a grumbling session about the company, organization, the boss, or fellow coworkers. Grumbling easily becomes a habit, a lifestyle of forgetting the gift of life and of life's simple benefits. In the Apostle Paul, he writes to the Corinthians, uh, Christians in the early church, he says, do all things without grumbling. Some translations actually use the word complaining. And it's interesting, because Paul uses the same word in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that's the word found in the story of the grumbling Israelites. And one reason the stories of the Bible are written down for us, and included, is to help us not forget. In fact, Moses was instructed to take a container of manna and set it aside for safekeeping. And that manna was going to be an ongoing reminder of God's goodness and God's provision for the Israelites. One reason we observe Advent instead of leaping directly into Christmas is to help us not forget. Grumbling is forgetfulness. But let's turn that around. What is the opposite, then, of forgetfulness? I think it's being thankful. When you think of thanksgiving, other than turkey and a day to overeat, what comes to mind? Is it scripture references that talk about giving thanks? Maybe being people who are thankful, celebrating a God who gives us so more, so much more than we actually deserve. And in our minds, do we think of thankfulness as only a Christian idea? Well, guess what? Christians can't claim exclusive ownership of that idea. In fact, check out these songs over the years uh, that talk about being thankful.
1: You have to love me like you did but you did, but you
0: did And I thank you Thanks to you It will be dark For you to me I'm the only one
1: If on the and Braces So I
0: Thank you for healing And I
1: want to thank you. Thank you for loving me. An attitude of gratitude when stuff has got you down can get you satisfied and turn your world around. Not mine. Thank you, thank
0: you, thank you. And that's just a small sampling of all the thank yous that exist in our culture. But I think you get the idea, right? So, but for God's people, thanksgiving is a response to grace. Right? The Exodus, it was a gracious act of a good and a compassionate God. The Israelites, they hadn't earned God's goodness. In fact, they had forgotten the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob while they were suffering under Pharaoh. But God doesn't forget. He remembered his covenant, and he delivered them from slavery. The manna was a gift, an expression of God's grace. And so was the quail. And today, God still graciously brings exodus. God still graciously satisfies our hunger. He still graciously feeds us with the bread of life, Jesus Christ himself. Grace is something completely unearned and unmerited. And thanksgiving is acknowledging that somebody has given us something that we don't deserve. But someone might say, well, I've been a decent person. I'm a a good moral citizen. I believe in God. I go to church periodically. I put some money in the offering, pray when I think about it. Why shouldn't God recognize my spirituality with showers of blessings? Well, because that's not how God works. And it's not how grace works. We Americans, we're big on entitlement, right? We assume that God owes us something or that God is somehow in our debt. But God's goodness, it's never earned. If it were earned, it would be barter, not blessing. This entitlement mentality, it never leads to thanksgiving. When we think we've got something coming to us, what is there to really be thankful for, right? And why not grumble then when we don't receive what we think we deserve? There's a preacher, his name's Warren Wiersbe. He once observed this. Thankfulness is the opposite of selfishness. The selfish person says, "I deserve what comes to me. Other people ought to make me happy." But the mature Christian realizes that life is a gift from God, and that the blessings of life come only from god 's bountiful hand thanksgiving it 's a response to grace. Thanksgiving humbly acknowledges God, how good you are to me. Thanksgiving is responding to god 's grace even. In the midst of trouble. In everything, Paul wrote, give thanks. Not necessarily for everything, but in every situation. Give thanks for who God is. Give thanks even when manna burgers are boring. Give thanks even when we're tired of roast quail. Give thanks when Egypt tempts us to return. Give thanks at the waters of Mara and when we find ourselves in the middle of the desert. Give thanks because of God's grace even in the midst of trouble now like many of you this week I once again counted the tremendous blessings of life but there are times when I take God's blessings totally for granted there are times when I forget and I relapse into grumbling there are times when I forget that life itself is a gift of grace there are times when I forget what God has done for me and Jesus how about you? Author Avery Brook, he offers a very straightforward prayer. He says this, I have many things to be thankful for, God. Sometimes I remember them, and other times I forget. When something large or small goes wrong, it fills my mind and I forget those things for which when I remember, I am thankful. Help me to remember the good things, God, to name them, to savor them, and to be thankful to you. Amen. Now, this poem struck me so much. I'd like to read this all together, okay? Will you read it with me? I have many things to be thankful for, God. Sometimes I remember them, and other times I forget. When something large or small goes wrong, it fills my mind, and I forget those things for which, when I remember, I am thankful. Help me to remember the good things, God, to name them, to savor them, and to be thankful to you. Amen. I'm actually going to post this in my office because uh, I think it's a helpful thing to just a great reminder. Because, friends, at the end of the day, look, we can't control a lot of the things that are going to happen, right? I mean, stuff, both good and bad, is going to happen to us. It's part of the human experience. So, if we can't change many of the things that are going to happen, what can we change? We can change the way we respond to those things in our life. Jimmy Buffett, he sings this, an attitude of gratitude when stuff has got you down can get you satisfatitude, whatever that is, and turn yourself around. And I'm thinking, friends, if Jimmy Buffett can give us advice on how to reflect gratitude, then how much more should our lives be a response to the grace of God? And my hope and my prayer today is that our lives will be a consistent, ongoing reflection of God's incredible and amazing grace. Will you pray with me? God, we readily recognize this morning that, um, that sometimes we are people who are thankful and many more times, Lord, we are people who are not thankful, that we forget, that we forget your goodness, that in, in, our, in our culture of self-sufficiency and so much stuff, so much everything, that we forget whose hand it ultimately comes from We forget your gracious hand that feeds us each day who sustains our life. God, in those times, forgive us. Help remind us, draw us close to you again. Remind us of your goodness and your grace. Lord, for your grace that was extended when you sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come to earth, to do something that none of us can do for ourselves, to come and to save us to offer us eternal life, to offer us a gift completely free, a gift that we can't earn, a a gift that we can't be good enough to get. God, we recognize there is nothing we can do to earn your favor. It is by grace that we are saved. It's by your amazing grace through your son, Jesus Christ. It's in in his precious name we pray. God who calls us below will be forever ours. That is a reason for thankfulness, a reason for gratitude. And when we live in that, it comes out of us in a lot of different ways. One, it it comes out in singing, right, and offering great words and praying. But it also comes out in a changed life that is dedicated to serving our God because of his grace offered towards us. And guys, you can grab a seat each year um, we have the chance to take to take our worship out out and, and we every day we have the chance to do it but every year in a big way at around Christmas time we've participated for the last number of years in this thing called Advent conspiracy and so it's our chance to take our worship to make it tangible and to take it out and so this year's theme of Advent conspiracy is turn your Christmas upside down so let's take a look
1: <laughs> I still don't understand that video. <clears throat> the whole idea behind Advent Conspiracy this year is turning your Christmas upside down. It's, a, it's an opportunity to remind us of what Christmas is all about. It's an opportunity for us to focus in on the reason that we celebrate, which is the birth of Jesus Christ, and what that means in our, in our everyday lives. And so each year, one of the highlights of Advent is that we pick an organization and we conspire together to do what we could not do as individuals, and we bless that organization with uh, a monetary gift. We've done it for three years. This is the fourth year in a row that we've done Advent Conspiracy. We started out with Living Water International, and we helped them uh, build 20 wells, in, uh, mostly in India. Then the second year, we partnered with an organization right here in our own backyard called Jubilee Village. And then last year, we partnered with an an organization called International Justice Mission that fights every day to end modern day slavery around the world. This year, uh, we're going back to uh, Living Water International as they uh, continue to work in India uh, to provide water. And we're gonna tell you more about that as the weeks progress. But we're also gonna give a portion of what we raised this year to IJM as well. And I think from year to year, we may just bounce back and forth, 90% to one, 10% to one, and go back and forth. Because these two organizations are strategic partners for us, and they're doing incredible work uh, around the world. And so we're going to give you more information in the days and weeks to come, but I want you to take this folder that we put in your um, bulletin this morning, and I want you to take it, and I want you to take it home with you and put it in a prominent place in your house. Uh, For us, that's the refrigerator. It's the most Often visited spot in our house. Uh, And so we're going to put it on our refrigerator. And I want you to use it as a reminder to pray. That you as individuals or you as a family would find some time this week to pray and ask God, God, what would you have us do for Advent conspiracy this year? And the only thing that we ask of you is to be faithful to what God tells you to do. We're going to tell you some stories along the way, we're going to give you some numbers and some rationale around the cause. But right now, we just want you to pray. I mean, this is the highlight for us of our Christmas season. Last year, we raised $114,000 for IJM. And I personally have seen the work that they're doing in India and in other parts of the world. And it's incredible stuff. So we're going to tell you all about that in the weeks to come. But right now, I just want you to pray. So will you commit to doing that this week? Will you commit to getting together as an individual around your refrigerators, your family, and pray? Will you do that? No, that was, that was weak. Uh, <clears throat> will you do that? Will you just gather to pray? Yeah. All right, thanks. Stand up, let's sing.
0: I recognize that um, Thanksgiving is now over and all eyes are forward on Christmas. But remember we talked about is let's not skip over and remember, right? Let's take time, this Advent season, take time to remember, to be thankful. And we just sang this song, Emmanuel, God with us. That is a reason to be thankful, Right, God gave his very only son, he sent him here, his birth was recognized, but what was even more amazing was what happened beyond that, what he ended up doing for us on our behalf and for everywhere, everyone everywhere. His grace offered by the gift of Jesus. And friends, that's what's being a Christian, that, that's what Christianity is all about. Christianity is not about rules or following um, traditions or, or things that are made up by humans. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ, right? And so I hope you know him today. If you don't, you know, keep coming back, keep asking questions, keep reading. I'd love to talk to you after the service, but keep, you know, keep asking questions about what this Christianity thing is all about. about. And for those of you who do know him, I hope that this week you will live as people who are thankful, who are responding to the amazing grace offered to us through Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you now as we have these weeks leading up to Christmas to take time to slow down to remember the tremendous, the awesome gift that you gave to us through your son, Jesus. And Lord, as we want to just hurry through things, as we want to rush past, as we want to just kind of get caught up in all the hustle and bustle and forget, help slow us down, help us not to be forgetful, help us to be thankful, people, who live out our lives of worship each and every day right where we are. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Thanks for being here, guys. We'll see you next week.